Launching rockets doesn't have to be rocket science with MongoDB. While you might not be launching rockets, modern apps need to incorporate analytics just like NASA and SpaceX. To see how MongoDB Atlas shifts real-time analytics into your applications, check out our three-part live stream where my guest Jay Runkle will build an application in real-time, simulating a rocket launch with multiple devices generating one million metrics per second. The fun starts live on LinkedIn and YouTube Live on March 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Visit the show notes for this episode or click the banner for more details. Hi, my name is Stefan Yatala. I'm the VP of Engineering at Tidepool. We are a nonprofit organization whose mission is to make diabetes data more accessible, meaningful, and actionable. The software we develop is designed to integrate data from various diabetes devices like insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors, and blood glucose meters into a single intuitive interface that allows people with diabetes and their care team to make sense of that data. And we're using MongoDB to power all this. Stay tuned for more. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking with Tidepool. Tidepool is a comprehensive platform for diabetes management. We're talking with Tapani Otala, VP of Engineering, and he shares some details about the platform, how it was put together, some of the capabilities, how it's open source. We also talk with Christopher Snyder, who's living with type 1 diabetes. He works at Tidepool, and he talks to us today about the impact of having access and visibility into that data, what that means for him. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy this episode. Did you know that MongoDB is helping developers in the fight against COVID-19? We're offering Atlas credits for developers working on projects battling the pandemic. For more than a year, the world has been living and struggling with COVID-19. Vaccines are now being rolled out in many countries, but the global situation is still critical. In fact, many regions are battling through the most severe phase of the pandemic. Throughout it all, technologists have been coming together to develop applications to help detect, understand, and stop the spread of COVID-19. And we are incredibly grateful to everyone who is working hard to tackle the virus. This program is just a small way of helping out. If you're working on a project to help combat COVID-19 applied today, you can get more information at mongodb.link slash COVID. My name is Christopher Snyder. I've been living with type 1 diabetes since 2002. I'm also Typepool's community and clinic success manager. Having this data available to me just gives me the opportunity to make sense of everything that's happening. Prior to using Typepool, if I wanted to look at my data, I either had to write everything down and keep track of all those notes, or I had to use proprietary software for each of my devices and then potentially print things out and hold them up to the light to align events and data points and things like that. Because Tidepool brings everything together in one place, I am biased. I think it looks real pretty. It makes it a lot easier for me to identify trends, make meaningful changes in my diabetes management habits, and hopefully lead a healthier life. You're listening to the MongoDB Podcast. MongoDB Podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. We're talking today about Tidepool, and maybe you could give us a, a quick description of what Tidepool is and who it may appeal to. Yeah, we're a nonprofit organization, and uh, we're developing software that helps people with diabetes manage that condition. We enable people to upload data from their devices, different uh, types of devices like glucose monitors, meters, insulin pumps, and so on, into a single place 
where you can view that data in one place and you can share it with your care team members like doctors, clinicians, or your family members. And they can view that data in real time as well. Are there many companies that are doing this type of thing today? There are a few companies. Uh, as far as I know, we're the only non-profit in this space, though. So everything else is, is for-profit. And there are a lot of companies that, that look at it from diabetes from different perspectives. They might work with type 2 diabetes or type 1. We work with any kind. It, there's no difference. So in regards to Tidepool, are you building hardware as well as software? Um, or are you just looking at, at data? Can you shed some more light into that? Sure. Uh, we're a 100% software company. We don't make any of the hardware. We do work with lots of um, great manufacturers of those devices in the space, in medical space in general, but in particular diabetes that make those devices. And so we collaborate with them. So what stage is Tidepool in today? Are you live? Yeah, we've been live since 2013, and we've, we've grown since a fair bit. And we're now at 33 or so people. But still, I guess you could consider us a startup in some sense. So I'd actually like to dig deeper into the software that Tidepool produces. So you said that there are many great hardware manufacturers working in this space. How are you obtaining that data? Are you like a mobile application connecting to the hardware? Are you some kind of IoT? Or are they sending you? that information and you're working with it at that point? So it really depends on the device and the integration that we have. For most devices, we talk directly to the device. So these are devices that you would use at your home and you connect them to your PC over Bluetooth or USB or your phone for that matter. And we have software that can read the data directly from the device and upload it to our backend service. That's uh, using MongoDB to store that data. Is there a common format that is required in order to send data to Tidepool? <laughs> uh, we wish. That would make our life a whole lot simpler. No, actually, a, a good chunk of the work uh, that's involved in here is writing software that knows how to talk to each individual device. And there are some families of devices that, that use, use similar protocols and so on. But no, there's no really universal protocol to talk to the devices or for the format of the data that comes from the devices for that matter. So a, good, a lot of the work goes into normalizing that data in, uh, so that when it is stored in, in our backend, it's then visible and viewable by, by people. So that uh, we'll get to this in a second. It does sound like a perfect case for a, a kind of a document database. But in regards to supporting all of these other devices, so I imagine that any single device over its lifetime might experience different kind of data output through the versions. What kind of compatibility is Tidepool having on these devices? Do you, do you say support like the latest version or maybe you can shed some light on that? How many devices in general you're supporting? Yeah, right now we support over 50 different devices and then by extension, anything that Apple Health supports. So if you have a device that stores data in Apple Health Kit, we can read that as well. But 50 devices directly, you can actually go to tidepool.org slash devices and you can see the list, full list there. You can filter it by different types of devices and manufacturers and so on. And that those devices are, some of them are actually obsolete at this point. They're end of life. You can't buy them anymore. And so we, we support devices even long past the point when they've been sold. We try to keep up with the latest devices, but that's not always feasible. So in many respects, this is a, it's like a health-oriented IoT application, right? Yeah. In a way, that, that's only true. The only th difference here is maybe is that those devices don't directly usually connect to the net. Uh, so they need an intermediary. Like in our case, we have a, a mobile application. We have a desktop application that talks to the device that's in your possession. But you can't reach the device directly over internet. And just so we can understand the scale, 
How many devices are reporting into Tidepool today? I don't actually know exactly how many devices there are in terms of discrete different types of devices. What I can say is our main database, production database, we're storing something uh, It's approaching to 6 billion documents at this point in terms of the amount of data across across. And hundreds of thousands of users. Just for clarity, because I want to get to, because the diabetes space is not something I'm personally too familiar in and the different hardware that exists. So say I'm a user of the hardware mm -hmm. and it's reporting to Tidepool. Is, is, it, is Tidepool going to alert you if there's some kind of low blood sugar level or does it serve a different purpose? A bit of both. And this is, is a, actually a picture that's changing. So right now, what we have out there in terms of the product they're backward looking. So what happened in the past, but you might might be using these devices and you you might upload data a few times a day. But if you're using some of the more more newer devices like continuous glucose monitors, those record data every five minutes. So the, the update frequency could be much higher. But that's going to change going forward as more and more people start using those continuous glucose monitors that are actually doing that. For the older devices, might be this is classic finger prick blood glucose meter where you poke your finger, you draw some little bit of blood, and you measure it, and you might do that five to ten times a day, versus two hundred and eighty-eight times if you have a glucose monitor, a continuous glucose monitor that that sends data every five minutes. So it's it varies from device to device. So fascinating space. I test myself on a regular basis as part of my diet, not necessarily for diabetes, but for, for ketosis. And that's an interesting concept to me. The continuous monitoring devices, that's something that you attach to your body, right? Yeah. These are little devices about the size of a stack of quarters that, that sit somewhere on your skin, on an arm or leg or, or somewhere on your body. They, there's a little filament that goes under your skin that measures, that's the actual measurement. But it's basically a, a little tablet. So thinking about the application itself and, and how you're leveraging MongoDB, do you want to talk a little bit about how the application comes together and what the stack looks like? Sure. So we're hosted in AWS, first of all. We have about uh, 20 or so microservices in there. And as part of those microservices, we, we they all communicate to MongoDB Atlas, where that's implemented with sort of best practices of, of security in mind, because security and privacy are critically important for us. So we're using VPC peering from our microservices to MongoDB Atlas. And they are, we're using a, a three-node replica set in MongoDB Atlas so that we, there's no chance of losing any of that data. And in terms of the application itself, is it largely an API? I'm sure that there's a user interface for your application set, but what does the backend or the API look like in terms of the technology? So the what people see in front of them is a, either a desktop application or mobile application. That's the visible manifestation of it. Uh, both of those communicate to our backend through a REST set of REST APIs for authentication, authorization, data upload, data retrieval, and so on. And those APIs then take that data and they store it in uh, in our MongoDB production cluster. So the, the APIs vary from give me a user profile to upload this pile of uh, continuous glucose monitor samples. And what is the API written in? What, what technologies are you using? Our, our tech stack is a, a mix of Node.js and Golang. I would say 80% Golang and 20% Node.js. Well, that's, uh, I'm interested to know why Golang for, for this type of application. I, I wouldn't have thought it as a, a typical use case. So do you have any light? Are you able to shed any light on that or topic for another day? The decision to switch to Golang, and so this is actually the, the growing set of services that happened before my time. I would say it's pretty well suited for this particular application. This 
the backend service is fundamentally, it's a set of APIs that have no real user-visible manifestation themselves. We do have a web service, uh, a web front-end to all this as well, and that's written in React uh, and so on. But the Golang is, is proven to be a very good language for, for developing these, these services specifically that respond to API requests. Because really all they do is they're taking a bunch of inputs from the, from the caller and translating, applying business policy and so on, and then storing the data in, in Mongo. So it's a good way to do it. Awesome. So we, we know that you're using Go and Node for your APIs, and we know that we're, you're using uh, MongoDB as your data layer. What features in particular are you using with, with MongoDB specifically? So right now, um, as I mentioned, we, we're running a three-node replica set. We don't yet use sharding, but that's actually the next big thing that we will be tackling in the near future, because that set of data that we have is growing fairly fast and it will be growing very fast uh, or even faster in the future with a new product coming out. But so sharding will be next one. We do a lot of uh, aggregate queries across several different collections. So, so some fairly complicated queries. And, and as I mentioned, that, that the largest collection is fairly large. And so performance becomes critical. Having the right indices in place uh, and being able to look for all the, all the right data is critical. So you, you mentioned aggregations across uh, numerous collections. At a high level, are you able to, uh, to talk us through what exactly you're aggregating to, to give us an idea of a use case? Yeah, sure. In fact, the one thing I should have mentioned earlier, perhaps, is besides being nonprofit, we're also open source. So everything we do is actually visible on, on GitHub in our open source repos. So if, you're, if anybody's interested in the details, they're welcome to take a look in there. But in the sort of broadest sense, we have a user collection where all the user accounts, profiles are stored. We have a, a data collection or device data collection, rather. That's where all the data from diabetes devices goes. There's other collections for things like messages that we send to the users, emails, basically, invitations to join this account or so on, and confirmations of those. And so different collections for different use cases. Broadly speaking, it's, it's, there's one collection for each use case, like user profiles or messages, notifications, device data, and so on. And I'm thinking about the schema and the aggregations across multiple collections. Can you share what that schema looks like and maybe even just the number of collections that you're storing? Sure. The number of collections is actually relatively small. It's only a half a dozen or so, but the, uh, the schema is pretty straightforward for most of them, They're like the user profiles. There's only so many things you, you store in the user profile, but the device data collection is perhaps the most complex because it, it stores data from all the devices, regardless of type. So the data that comes out of a continuous glucose monitor is different than the data that comes from an insulin pump, for instance, as an example. And so there's different fields that matter, the different units that we're dealing with and so on. Okay. So Tapani, what other features within the Atlas platform are you leveraging today? And, and have you possibly looked at automated scalability as a solution moving forward? Uh, so our use of the MongoDB Atlas right now is is Fairly straightforward in that sense. So a lot of data in the different collections, uh, this indices and aggregate queries uh, that are used to manage that data and so on. The things that we're looking forward in the future are things like sharding because of the scale of the data that's growing. Other things are uh, data lake, for instance, archiving some of the data. Currently, our production database stores all the data from 2013 onwards. And really, the value of that data beyond the past uh, few months to few years is not that uh, important. So we'd want to archive it. We can't lose it because it's important data, but we, we want to archive it and move it move it someplace else. So that and bucketizing the data in the more effective ways. And so it's, it's uh, faster to access by different stakeholders in the company. 
So some, some really compelling features that are available today around online archiving. I think we can definitely help out there. And, and coming down the pike, we've got some really exciting stuff happening in the time series space. So stay tuned for that. We'll be talking more about that at our .live conference in July. So stay tuned for that. Hey, Mike, how about you give a plug about that conference right now? Yeah, sure. It's our biggest user conference of the year. And uh, we get together, thousands of developers join us, and we present all of the feature updates. We're going to be talking about MongoDB 5.0, which is the latest upcoming release, and some really super exciting announcements there. There's a lot of breaks and, and brain-breaking activities, and it's just a great way to get plugged into the MongoDB community. You can get more information at mongodb.com slash live. So Tapani, thanks so much for sharing the details of how you're leveraging MongoDB. As, as we touched on earlier, this is, a, this is an application that users are going to be sharing very sensitive details about their health. Do you want to talk a little bit about the security? Sure. Yeah, it's actually, it's a critically important piece for us. So first of all, all of those APIs uh, that we talked about earlier, those are all the traffic is encrypted in transit. There's no unauthorized or un unauthenticated access to any other data or API. In MongoDB Atlas, what we're obviously leveraging is we, we use the encryption at rest. So all the data that's stored by MongoDB is encrypted. We're using VPC peering between our services and MongoDB Atlas to make sure that traffic is even more secure. And yeah, privacy and security of the data is a key thing for us because this is all what, what the Health and Human Services calls protected health information or PHI. That's the sort of highest level of uh, private information you could possibly have. So in regards to the information being sent, we, we know that the information is being encrypted at rest. Are you collecting data that could be sensitive, like social security numbers and things like that, that might need to be encrypted at a field level for, to prevent prying eyes of DBAs and, and similar? Uh, we do not collect any social security information or anything like that. This is purely healthcare data, um, diabetes device data and so on. No, no credit cards, no SSNs. Got it. So nothing that could technically tie the information back to an individual or be used in a malicious way? Uh, not in that way, no. I mean, the, I think it's it's fair to say that this is obviously people's healthcare information, so that, that is sensitive regardless of whether it could be used maliciously or not. Makes sense. Okay, so I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about what's next for Tidepool. You did make a brief mention of another application that you'll be launching Maybe talk a little bit about the roadmap. Sure. Um, we're working on it. Besides the existing products, we're working on a new product that's called Typepool Loop. And that's a, an effort to, to build an automatic insulin dosing system. So this takes a more proactive role in the treatment of diabetes. Those existing products show data that you already have. This is actually helping you administer insulin. And so it's a smartphone application that's currently under FDA review. We are working with a couple of great partners. Uh, and the medical device space to, to launch that with their with their products. I love the open nature of Tidepool. It seems like everything you're doing is out in the open from, from open source to full disclosure on the architecture stack. I think that's that's something that, that I can really appreciate as a developer. I love the ability to dig a little deeper and see how things work. Is there anything else that you'd like to cover from a from an organizational perspective? Any other details you want to share? Sure. You mentioned the, the transparency and openness. We we practice what some people might call radical transparency. Not only is our, our software open source, it's in GitHub, anybody can take a look at it. Our JIRA boards for bugs and, and so on, they're also open, visible to anybody. Our interactions with the FDA, you know, meeting minutes, filings, and so on, we also make those available. Our employee handbook is open. We actually forked 
and other companies, Employee Handbook made ours open as well, uh, and in the hopes that people can can benefit from that. Ultimately, in all of this, uh, why why we do this is we hope that we can help um, improve public health by making everything as as much as possible we can do make it publicly. And as far as the open source projects go, we have a several people out there who are making open source contributions or pull requests and so on. Now, because we do operate in the healthcare space, we have to review those submissions pretty clear, carefully in, before we integrate them into the product. But yeah, we do take, do take pull requests from people. We've gotten community submissions, for instance, translations to Spanish and German and French products, but we'd have to verify those before we can roll them out. This has been a great discussion. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we begin to wrap up? Well, a couple of things, closing thoughts, I guess, would be one is, first of all, we're 100% remote first and globally distributed organization. We have people in five countries and 14 states within the US right now. We're always hiring in some form or another. So if anybody's interested in, they're welcome to take a look at our, our job postings at tightpool.org slash jobs. The other thing is as a nonprofit, we certainly gracefully accept the donations as well. So there's another link there, tightpool.org slash donate. And if anybody's interested in the technical details of of how we actually built this all, there's a couple of links that I can throw out there. One is tightpool.org slash pubsec, P-U-B-S-E-C. That's a, our, a security white paper, basically. A whole lot of information about the architecture and infrastructure and security and so on. We also publish a series of blog postings, tightpool.org slash blog. Uh, where the engineering team has put, a, put out a couple of things in, in there about our infrastructure. We made, went through some pretty significant um, upgrades over the past couple of years. And then finally, github.org slash tightpool.org is where are all our sources. Awesome. And you mentioned that uh, you're a remote company and that you were looking for candidates. Were these mm-hmm. candidates global, strictly to the U.S.? D- does it matter? So we basically hire anywhere people are, and they work from wherever they are. We don't require relocation. We don't require visas in that sense that you'd have to, like come to U.S., for instance, to work. As I said, we have people in five countries, U.S., Canada, U.K., Bulgaria, and Croatia right now. Tapani, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks as well. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com. Test our phone switch to arm, arm light on. Launching rockets doesn't have to be rocket science with MongoDB. While you might not be launching rockets, modern apps need to incorporate analytics just like NASA and SpaceX. To see how MongoDB Atlas shifts real-time analytics into your applications, check out our three-part live stream where my guest Jay Runkle will build an application in real-time, simulating a rocket launch with multiple devices generating 1 million metrics per second. The fun starts live on LinkedIn and YouTube Live on March 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Visit the show notes for this episode or click the banner for more details.